Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6, it will begin in verse 9. Genesis chapter 6. Um, as I was just talking about, our world is full of violence right now. Uh, particularly in our country, is full of violence. We can see in the cities um, from Minnesota to Atlanta to Chicago to Dallas, all over our country, we are filled with violence. And uh, the Bible talks about a time when the world was filled with violence, and it wasn't just major cities, but it was every human being on the planet at the time. Back uh, at the time of Noah, uh, it tells us that every thought of the intention of the heart of man was only evil continually. And it tells us that the world was corrupted and it was filled with violence. And uh, um, we can kind of just get a taste of what that might be to, to look at our world now and, and see the, the violence that fills the streets in some of our major cities and, and the places that we see on the television. It's, it feels kind of safe to be here in a place like Panama, in a place like uh, Bond County or Montgomery County, where um, we don't have to worry about that. And I, I just posted on Facebook uh, yesterday about how, how it feels good to, to live in a small town during this time. It, it's, it's, it, we can be thankful. But at the same time, that wickedness that has come into the world due to the fall affects every one of us. It affects the cities and it affects every single one of our hearts. Uh, we, this, this, this wickedness that the, that the Bible tells, tells us about from Genesis chapter 6, uh, it, it is the ultimate, the, the, the um, result of the fall, that sin that entered into the world when Adam and Eve sinned. The very next generation, it went from a sin of eating a fruit that they were told not to, the very next generation... It was murder. It was cold-blooded murder where Cain uh, lay in wait for his brother. We see the multiplication of sin at, at that generation. And then and after that, we've got this line, uh, uh, this, this genealogy that we looked at a few weeks ago of, of how um, the, the effects of sin spread to every human being. And we see in this genealogy the pattern of it going, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. We get to the end of that genealogy and we come to Noah. And Noah's father, Lamech, said, this one will be the one. Maybe this one, he named him Noah and said, this will be the one who will bring us rest, who will bring us relief from the curse upon the ground, and upon uh, every living thing. We see back in Genesis 3, there was a promise of, of a seed of the woman, a descendant of Eve who was going to come and crush the serpent's head. There was a promise that someone was going to come and destroy the works of the devil. And, and Eve looked forward to this one, and she, she saw Seth was another seed that was provided after Abel had died. Uh, Lamech looked forward to this promised one as he named Noah, Noah, because he was going to be the one who would br bring relief from the curse. 
And then we see, last week we looked at this strange, strange story there at the, at the beginning of chapter 6 of how uh, it says the sons of God uh, had intermarried with the daughters of man and they had children and the Nephilim were there at that time. I went over that last week and I'm not going to worry about it again. But it tells us there the earth was filled with violence. It was wicked. Every thoughts of the hearts of every man was only evil continually. But the very last verse Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The word that's translated favor there in some translations is the same word for grace. It's Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In the midst of that, Noah was was in the midst of all that too. I mean, what was different about him? It tells us every man, I mean, only evil continually was the thoughts of man's heart. And and there's no reason why Noah has to have any exemption from that. But Noah found grace. Grace means it's when we get a it's a gift. It's something we don't deserve. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He did not deserve to be plucked out from among them as God was getting ready to destroy the world. He didn't deserve that. But God had grace on Noah. Now we're going to look at today's text. It begins in verse 9, and we're going to finish up chapter 6. I'll read the text. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in in its side. Make it with a lower, second, and third deck. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall be and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds. Every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, and every sort uh, shall come to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall be food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that the Lord commanded him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
And Father, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us tonight. We read about ancient times, a time when you destroyed the world and everything that was in it, yet you saved one family. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would not just look at this as some kind of uh, ancient myth or legend, but Lord, this is, this is uh, talking about the real world that you made. Lord, this is talking about uh, the real story of human history. Lord, help us to receive that by faith and help us to see faith in the life of Noah, how he, he obeyed you and you saved him from the wrath that you were to send. Now, Father, help us today, knowing that your wrath is one day coming again, Lord, to look to the only way that you provided for salvation, and that is in Jesus. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The beginning of our text, it says, These are the generations of Noah. I don't want to say too much about that, but you might remember a few weeks ago, I, I pointed out, it, it said, These are the generations of Adam at the beginning of this genealogy of of." Uh, of chapter 5. And we also saw the same phrase, these are the generations of, back in uh, chapter 2, verse 4, when it says these are the generations uh, of the heavens and earth. Uh, This is a marker that scholars have seen that is throughout the book of Genesis uh, that marks out different sections of the book of Genesis. It's these are the generations. You can can find it uh, later on uh, whenever it tells us these are the generations uh, of of the sons of Noah and then these are the generations of Terah, which is Abraham's father. We can see it again with uh, these are the generations of... uh, um, uh, Ishmael and Isaac. Uh, go through, when you get home, you can check it out if you've got a concordance or a Bible software or something. Look up, these are the generations, and you'll see that repeated several times in the book of Genesis. All that to say is, that's why I'm starting here. Uh, we could have looked at the, the story of Noah and began with chapter five, uh, verse 5, or we could have started back at the beginning of the chapter and just looked at it all together, but because uh, I think this is a, a separate unit, that's why we're starting here tonight. Now it tells us, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. A couple of things I want to say about this. First of all, uh, like I said, this is this is a, a new section of literature, and it's it's contrasting. Maybe it's contrasting Noah with the rest of the world that it had been talking about. It's contrasting, saying you know the rest of the world was all well, you know only evil continually all the time. It was filled with violence, and then here's Noah. On the other hand, and he was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. He walked with God. We kind of wonder here, as I was arguing before, there's nothing that tells us that uh, um, that Noah was exempt from the, the, the thoughts of every single person that was on the planet at the time. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, right? Is there, is there some kind of balance here that we need to see? Um, I, I think that the basis upon which Noah was righteous... The basis upon which he could be called blameless or, or he had integrity in his generation is the fact that God had grace upon him. There was, there was nothing necessarily good in Noah himself. 
But God had grace upon him, and it was because of the grace of God that he was able to live a life that was uh, righteous and blameless before the Lord. And that's how we as believers ought to see ourselves. There's nothing good in me that makes me so something special that's different from anybody else. What's good is what God has done for me. I would be, but for the grace of God, I would be just as fallen and depraved as anybody else around me. But praise Jesus. Praise Him. This is, what I think, how I, I can reconcile this. On the one hand, we have the grace of God that's seen upon Noah, but at the same time, it says Noah was a righteous man. Blameless is in, in his generation. And that blameless, it doesn't mean sinless. Uh, the word there, it, 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 in the Hebrew, it has the idea of soundness uh, or, or, or completeness uh, or integrity. Um, in comparison to everybody else around, he was, he was uh, someone who, was, who had integrity. And then it tells us, Noah walked with God. Now the text has already told us somebody else walked with God. We had Enoch in the line there from Adam all the way down to Noah in this, gene, in this genealogy from, from Genesis chapter 5. Uh, we have, and he died, and he died, and he died from every single generation. And we get to Enoch a few generations before Noah, and it tells us that Enoch walked with God and was not. He didn't die. God just took him. One of two people in the Old Testament that, that never died. We've got Enoch and we've got Elijah that was taken by that chariot of fire. But it tells us the same thing. I think there's, we're supposed to see a connection here between Enoch and Noah. Just like Noah, just like Enoch had walked with God and was taken there, Noah walked with God and God is saving Noah out of the midst of everyone around him. So, Noah walked with God, and it tells us Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and with, the earth was filled with violence. There's, there's two words that it's using there, and we see this repeated through the text here. It's corrupt. The, the earth is corrupt, and, and it's filled with violence. Um, if you listen to the, to the news and you hear them talk about the Middle East... You might sometimes hear about this terrorist organization called Hamas. Have you heard of Hamas in the news? Uh, the word literally means violence. It's the word here in this text. The earth was filled of Hamas. It was filled with violence. And so just think about terrorism. That's, that's the kind of violence that the earth was filled with at that time. So it was corrupt. It was filled with violence. And in verse 12, we see the same words repeated again. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way. That's the thir three times we've seen it in two verses. And the earth, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh... So, because the earth has corrupted, because all flesh, because all human beings have corrupted their way, we've all had, have been like sheep and gone our own way, we have all uh, sinned and, and fallen short, they have, they have all been completely corrupted within their hearts. God says, I have decided to make an end of all flesh. He's going to destroy every living thing upon the planet. For the earth is filled with violence, that's that same word again, Filled with violence through them, behold, I will destroy them with the earth. 
Now, something you can see in the in original language, you can't see in the in the in this text here in the in the English. When it says, "I will destroy the earth," that's kind of a play on words, because the word that's used for destroy there is the same word in the Hebrew that means corrupt in the other two verses. We see that man has corrupted the earth. It's corrupt. It's corrupt. And then, because a consequence of man corrupting the earth, I'm going to corrupt them along with it. I'm going to destroy them along with it. Again, that talks about the consequences of our sin. The, earth, the human sin had corrupted all flesh, had corrupted everything. And, and how, that's how, what our sin does to our lives. It corrupts it. It destroys our lives. It destroys everything around us. And God says because man had destroyed everything, he had messed up God's perfect plan, he decides, I'm going to destroy them along with it. But then comes grace. Verse 14, God tells Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. <laughs> gopher wood. What's that? Gopher wood. I don't know. <laughs> Probably used up, up all the tree and it went extinct. All right. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> you don't have to talk back. All right. So gopher wood. I, I, I'm only going to explain this. It's not really important what kind of word it was. In fact, we don't know what kind of wood it was. But the only reason it says gopher wood is because when, when the translators came to that, they didn't know what this word was. And so they just left it in the original. The word there in the Hebrew is spelled gopher. Uh, I'm not going to use the Hebrew letters. But that's they transliterated it. They didn't really translate it. So uh, that, that word, we, we sometimes laugh and we think, well, what's kind of gopher wood? Or that song, build, build an ark out of gopher, barky, barky, you know, children of the Lord. Um, but no, the, the reason that's there is that's the word in the Hebrew, and we just don't know what it means. So for, God told him to build it out of some kind of wood, and we don't know what that is. And he tells him, make rooms in the ark. Uh, the word there is like nests or cells. There, there's living spaces, separate living spaces throughout the ark. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And whenever it says cover it inside and out with pitch, uh, it's just it's just the idiom of, of the language, but I thought it was interesting. That's from the house to the street. Um, that's literally what it, what it says. From the house to the street, inside and out, uh, cover it with pitch. So he's using some kind of a tar, some kind of some kind of substance to to waterproof the ark to make it float. Now this is how you were to make it. The length of the ark will be three hundred cubits, its breadth fifty cubits, and its height. 300 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door inside the ark. Make it with a lower, uh, lower, second, and third decks. He gives all this technical instruction to Noah about how to build the ark. Now, as it's given to Noah, of course, it's given to him as specific instructions on how he's built building to build this. But as, as it's written to us, as we hear, see this as, as sacred scripture, what we're seeing is, is God is meticulously describing what it takes for Noah to obey. 
And then at the end of the text, we see, and he did all that God had done, uh, had said to do. He, he obeyed meticulously down to the very last set of instructions. Noah obeyed every single one of them. We see a very similar thing whenever God gives the uh, instructions for how to build the tabernacle later on. And, and there's specific instructions for how tall and how wide and all the dimensions that are supposed to be in the tabernacle. And, 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 and to worship God truly takes that kind of specific, meticulous obedience both here for Noah and whenever they built the tabernacle. Why? We see verse 17. Why is he supposed to build this? Why is he supposed to follow these directions? Verse 17 says, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. He's going to destroy every living thing under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you. He's again, there's a contrast here. Everything under the, under heaven, everything, every living being on the planet, both human and animal, every single creature, they're going to, they're going to die. I'm going to destroy them. But you, Noah, God says, but you, I'm going to establish my covenant with you. There's a couple of different words uh, that can be used to, to say establish a covenant. There's one that's used whenever, uh, whenever God makes a covenant with Abraham and, and Abraham, uh, he's put to sleep and God passes through uh, this animal that's cut in half. Uh, that word is often called, it's to cut a covenant literally. But here it uses a different word as in, in establishing the covenant. It's, it's to arise. So I will cause my uh, covenant to arise with you. And as we see this covenant language of this, this I, I'm promising you, Noah, that I'm going to establish my covenant with you. What ought to be going on in the end in our minds is thinking back Genesis three, whenever God promises Eve after the fall, there will be a seed of the woman, a descendant, one of your descendants will someday come and crush the serpent's head. It's going to be that person that's that's in God's covenant. And God tells Noah, it's going to be someone who comes from your line. I'm going to establish my covenant with you, Noah. It's going to be from your family that the whole world will be saved. Just as he says to Abraham later, there will be the whole, all nations will be blessed in Abraham. And just as he says, to David later about how there will be a king that will come that will sit on your throne and will last forever and ever and ever. All that comes back to Genesis chapter 3. God, here in Genesis 6, says, I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you, and every living thing of all flesh, you shall be you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. So God provides a plan to save Noah. He saves along with Noah, his family, and he, has also, he also provided a plan to save all of the animals through saving a pair so that they could reproduce from each and every kind. 
They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kind, of the animals according to their kind, of every creeping thing upon the ground according to its kind. Notice there we see language that we've already seen in Genesis chapter 1. The birds, the beasts, and every creeping thing. We use the same kind of language when he's talking about creation. He's saying, bring along all these creatures that I made back in chapter 1. Bring along those with you so that a pair of each one of those will be saved as well. Then, verse 21, And take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. They've got to have provisions for their way. And God is telling them in specific instructions on how they are to be saved through this flood that is to come. It shall, be, it shall serve for food for you and for them. They're going to be eating the same food as the animals do. <laughs> and then the final verse we see, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. We know what comes next. We know that Noah builds the ark and, and whenever he gets to be so old, God sends the flood and he destroys everything. We know that he's, he's there. It, it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. We, we know the story. Let's just think on these words. This text that we're looking at tonight. We need to remember just this, this, these words, this, the Old Testament was written so that for our instruction as well. That's what the Apostle Peter wrote in, in uh, I don't remember if it was first or second Peter. These things were written for our instruction. And, and a lot of times we wouldn't just spend our time in the New Testament all the time, but we're going through Genesis, okay? We're going, uh, we may stop at chapter 11 and come back later. The Old Testament is important. It is written for our instruction. And one of the things that even the New Testament writers point to this story to remind us, there is a judgment coming. There is a judgment coming. One of these days, just as Jesus came the first time, He came the first time to be the Messiah, to be the one who would die upon the cross and save us from our sins, just as He came that time. In, in the future, He will come again, and this time He's not coming uh, low and riding on a donkey. The next time He's coming, He's coming with a white on a white horse with a sword uh, out of His mouth and flames from His eyes. He's going to be coming as a, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's going to put every enemy under His feet. Jesus again will come. There will be a judgment. And, and if we don't make it to that time, each one of us, we are going to die. That consequence of sin that was brought into the world. That death that was brought through Adam. Each one of us, if we don't make it to that time when Jesus returns again, we will die. And after that, Hebrews 9.27 tells us, after that we face the judgment. And there is only one way to stand in the judgment. There's only one way to be able to stand in the judgment, and it's not by our own righteousness. It is not by being good enough. It is because none of us could do it. The only way we can be saved is to get in the ark. I'm saying that figuratively. Jesus, I, I don't want to. I don't want to make this into an allegory because it's not. But in a way, 
the ark points us to Jesus. He is the only way to be saved. We look to Him. We, we put our trust and our hope. Just like Noah was putting his faith in God, he was putting his trust that, that God was providing a way for him to be saved through building this ark, we put our faith in Jesus. We put our faith in the sacrifice of Him upon the cross and, and his, his blood paid for our sins. We trust in that and that is how we get in the ark. There is judgment coming. There is judgment coming and there is no way to stand. It is coming to every man and the and every woman and every child. And it is and the only way to escape God's wrath and judgment is to look to Jesus Christ. He is the only way we can be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the good shepherd. He is the way that we can be saved by trusting in Him. So as I close tonight, my exhortation to you is get in the ark. If you haven't done it, there is a flood coming. Not a, not a physical flood of waters. God promised they would, He would never send that again. He promised it, and He put the rainbow in the sky to, 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 prompt, to, to signify that promise. But He is coming again to judge. He is coming again to put all things right. And when He does, will you be found in Jesus? Will you be found trusting in His blood alone for the forgiveness of your sins? Trust in him. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.